So what do you do when you tour? Do you just have someone uh, provide backline at every show, or do you no. bring a guitar amp and have them do the bass as yeah, a DI? Or no, how do what you do Scott it? and I do is we um, we have a set of gear on the East Coast at my house, and uh, we have a set of gear on the West Coast at his house. Is he in the Bay Area? He's in the Bay Area, so yeah. we use that stuff. We're up and down. So you have a bass amp and a guitar amp. Yeah, at his. exactly. And yeah. then do your how do you? I've always I've often wondered about this because I used to in the presidents we were tuned down. Yeah. Uh, with pretty limited tonal range, but playing all the way up the neck, there was still. And I always wondered, you know, really the way we did it is, Chris and I were essentially playing the same instrument, but he played through a bass amp and thought bass, and I yeah. played through a guitar amp and thought guitar. Yeah. Yeah. And I had an one string an octave higher than our low. Um, C sharp, but I w was interested sometimes in what how you could. So, do you use a crossover? I mean, how, or just the is it just the bass the just pickups bass on pickups. the lower strings go yeah. to the okay? And unfortunately, I there could is you a use a crossover? crossover. I wish I could have, but I'm sure there were probably easier ways to ultimately manifest that. But you know. your sound is good. It's even, like I said. I mean, just. It's pretty name. decent. Yeah, I'll get the guitar out later and yeah. let you have a go at it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's cool. It's the problem. I'm sorry, I didn't offer you anything. Do you want to Sorry, I have. Uh, did you make any coffee or? I you didn't. Have water? All I have is that coffee maker thing. Oh. Do you want to try some I'm of that? Going for it. If you okay, you go for it. I, we have. Pause. I didn't drink. You have kids, right? I do. Yeah. So I didn't really drink. I'm. I'm. Uh, we can get this on. I'm wound kind of tight. Oh. And uh, <laughs> so before we had kids, I never. Uh, I never drank coffee because it just pumped me out oh, too much, way too hard. But it was like that. We have two kids now, and our oldest daughter was born on Christmas Eve, oh, which shoot. in the middle of winter here is like, as you know, it gets dark at yeah, like four yeah. and gets light at eight the next morning. Thank you. You got it. And um, yeah, it was like the second morning home after not sleeping for two nights. Oh god. I had I, I liked coffee. I had yeah, my little yeah. espresso maker, and yeah, I'd, yeah. every morning I'd have my decaf latte. Oh. <laughs> and I woke up like the second morning home with our older daughter, and just got my bag of decaf out of the freezer right, and went, right. "This is not going to work." This is not going to work. Got anymore. in the car, yeah, went to yeah, the grocery yeah. store at five a.m. and, and that was it. The big change. I, I had I used to drink a lot of coffee, but I ended up having health problems and you know the guts, and I just and I was a lifer, man. I mean, I. Yeah. Grew up, my mom, my aunt, in the seventies, uh, lived with us, and worked at Pete's Coffee, oh, which was okay. the right. only Pete's Coffee right. in Berkeley at that yeah. time. So I grew up with a freezer full Real. of coffee beans. I mean, we had like government cheese and government peanut butter, but, but we had Pete's coffee, coffee, like coffee. a fridge full of it. You know what I mean? Um, and um, so I grew up on that. I my idea of coffee. Was basically this in, from a teen, an early teen, was this incredibly strong, right. sludgy kind of stuff. Well, that you know? place I mentioned that I worked, you know, just next door to the hotel, we had, um, I think it was the second espresso machine in Seattle. Really? But I didn't, I, as and I this said, is back in the, the 70s? this is, no, this is like 1983. Oh, okay. At the, but I, as I didn't really drink coffee then because it just, I, I used to, my stomach used to bother me when I was younger, and that's when one of the blessings of getting older is, is I'm still wound tight, but I'm a little mellower. You're a little mellower, exactly. A little yeah, better. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's awesome. So I um, and get my coffee going. But man, um, so are you from here? You're I'm from, from here. I grew up kind of in the neighborhood we're in, University District, yeah. a residential neighborhood that's near here. And 
I'm a I'm an oddity these days. I'm like a fourth generation Seattleite. Wow. You know, there yeah, aren't many yeah, that's around. very unusual. Was normal when I was a kid, but um, well, when the, the population last, was probably half what it was. Yeah, what it is. Now. It, it basically was. Yeah, but yeah. but you know, with obviously with we're already talking coffee, Starbucks, Microsoft, Nintendo, um, the. And a massive influx. That's the coffee maker. There it's going. Nobody's, That's it. Dorn, don't get mad at us. Um, uh, yeah, the city just changed radically in the yeah. last 20, yeah. 25 years. I mean, that's actually a, a refrain we go to quite often in these interviews with people. You know, been in New York, yeah. Bay Area, LA. And it has a direct bearing on the arts, actually, I was going to say. Absolutely. When I was, my best friend Kermit and I were working at this crazy communist pizza restaurant yeah, next yeah. door and playing music and kind of that was the the years of you know six hours in a, in a basement or a practice space somewhere we would play um, I mean I remember this is a story I actually told the story to not the most recent mayor but the previous mayor he had a bunch of arts people in to talk about uh -huh. how we can make the city more arts friendly and I basically <laughs> said look we're a victim of our own success because 15 years ago, right. 20 that's years ago, we would play this an area of downtown called Belltown that's mm -hmm. now upscale nightlife and yeah. residential area. We would play at a guy's place that was a squat. It was a block long squat in right. that neighborhood. And that neighborhood now is like, you know, high end restaurants and above them million dollar condos. Right. The same building right. at and 20 that, and, and yeah. 20 years ago so you know, where do you find a rehearsal space? My wife's a visual artist. Where do you find a, a place, a loft? To do what to you need to do with yeah. the right light. So, you know, and that 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 is just something that has, has played out everywhere. I mean, I grew up in Berkeley, California. Yeah. And uh, it's a very different Berkeley. I don't even recognize it. I'm I mean, sure. it's a, there's a few old school people that are still kind of hanging on who are kind of grandfathered in. Mm -hmm. But the, you know, the culture, you know, like for instance, you know, I'll go down to Subway Guitars, which is like a store. I don't know if you know Subway Guitars. Yeah, I do. Fat Dog and that yeah, whole yeah. thing. I basically grew up in that guitar store and one around the corner. Right. And, you know, I'll go down there when I want my hit of old Berkeley and Fat Dog will be sitting there and Taj Mahal lives there too. So mm -hmm. they'll just be sitting there. And, you know, and his whole thing, and he's very, very vocal and very intensely, you know, hardcore, mm -hmm. you know, political about it. But he goes, there has been an invasion of yuppie pus. That's yeah. what he says. And basically what he says is, you know, and I'm like, okay, well, whatever. You know, everyone's going to make their choices, and and not everyone is a musician. Very few people are actually. So I have to think about that. But really, what it is is the value system has changed radically. radically it's, changed. And and with yeah. the bifurcation of you know uh, the the haves and the have-nots, and Absolutely. I'm in a weird place because I'm kind of both. I mean, I've managed to be pretty successful both as a musician and as and it's lately as a white-collar professional. Mm. So mm. I'm. You know, I don't. I don't think I quali quantitatively qualify as a one percenter, but I'm certainly yeah. <laughs> uh, more at the comfortable end of the spectrum in terms yeah. of that. But then my wife's a visual artist. I fundamentally am driven by passion and a desire to to create beauty and to proselytize for the importance of right. of um, you know having transcendent experiences that are often facilitated by art. Sure. Um, and I I kind of have a foot yeah. in both worlds, but. It has changed radically um, the whole culture of the country in the last right, 10 to 15 years. And really, you just, it's depressing to me. It's really depressing. Because we are so, uh, the culture broadly is very unwilling to validate anything other than uh, massive material success. That's and, it's, and, it's bizarre. Yeah, and, and my attitude about that is that is fine 
when that is not the only exactly. thing you have. If it's a product of, of great thinking and, and innovation and making people's lives right. better and that results in some people aggregating a lot of wealth based on their hard work and their innovation, that's no awesome. No problem. But if it's, but only if it's an end result, it's the only yeah. goal. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's debilitating. It's a dead end for it's the entire society and that's where we are now. You might it's think, you know, I think, I think about this a lot and I think about it in, in relation to music and what music's about. The, the last record I made with the presidents was called Love Everybody. And the, the title track was this kind of Stooges or MC5 riff. That, and, the, and the chorus was, you got to love everybody and make them feel good about themselves. And that song happened because at the time, about 10 years ago, I was listening to um, Band of Gypsies oh, record. Oh, that's and one of the great there, you know, And the lyrics are all like, soul power, let's get it together. And I was yeah. listening to that all the time. And you know, came into rehearsal one day where we were working up these, we just regrouped and, and we were working up these ideas for a record. And I'm like, how come nobody writes songs? Like, I mean, what's wrong with being overtly optimistic yes, and positive yeah, in yeah. An, an ironic, genuine, enthusiastic exactly, kind of way? And Chris exactly. is like, I can do that! Yeah. You gotta love everybody, make them feel good about themselves. And their boom, that's song was great. done. That's fantastic. So yeah. I miss, you know, you think about people our age, the music that we were, weaned on which was it wasn't our generation but the the preceding half generation the the aquarian age sure the music i mean the music and the culture sure hippie culture got co-opted for commercial uses, right 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 but fundamentally coming out of the beats culture and into the hippie culture sure it was about these higher values and as i went through high school and into i went to a very progressive high school and then into college that's where people were focused with their yeah. energy and their time yeah. And if then you, you yeah. had the, and then the '80s happened. Yeah, and right. I, exactly. Yeah, but uh, you know, I'd love you to to talk about like how you, you because it is it is a cultural thing, and the culture has shifted dramatically. Yeah. And what I find, and I tr and you know, I all can also often tend towards the bitter and the angry, just because that's my. Mentalities, just yeah. like oh, the underdog. Oh, okay, so you're gonna. Oh, that's how it is, you know. And and, and I and when I start when I get in situations like that, I have to attenuate what I'm thinking about saying because I realize that it's pretty much let me let me try to eliminate as much of my baggage from the equation as I can. But having said that, I definitely feel like well, well wait a minute, you know, you you have people like us that you know, music is a calling. It's mm -hmm. not like, you know, I've said it, it's a calling and it's not something you decide to do because it's nifty. You know, it's like, it's really, really hard to decide to live your life that way. And that's great. And that's my choice. And I wouldn't have it any other way. Mm -hmm. But the thing, the problem I have now is because the culture has shifted and it's changed, it's changed so much away from human connectivity and mm -hmm. cultural uh, cultural back and forth, all of this stuff. It's changed so much that it really feels like like John Henry times a million like you just can't fight the steam engine but but I found my niche that that I can I can do what I do in and what I'm interested in because you are one of very few people that I know that have lived in both ends of that spectrum yeah. you have a very unique perspective on those two worlds on the tech world and on the music world and it's, I'm curious as to what you, and I'm sure you think about that a lot. So uh, it is a hard choice to, it's a hard, there, there are two levels of the choice. One level of choice is to engage in whatever you're doing with passion and authenticity. 
And I definitely was fully committed to that mm -hmm. by the time I was like 15. When I was 19 and working over here, at actually, the in the middle of the Communist yeah, yeah. Pizza Hut, um, and halfway <laughs> through undergraduate school, I was going to transfer. And I looked really hard at transferring um, to Berkeley in Boston uh -huh. and deciding, like, I'm going to do this as a follow whatever defined career path there is, which mm -hmm. isn't much. If you mm -hmm. know, but you can go to Berkeley and get a degree sure. in composition or performance or whatever, and then stay in academia, go to work at North Texas State mm -hmm. or whatever. I could see that. And at the same time, it was that was kind of the start of the grunge scene in Seattle, right. what became the grunge scene, and my friends were in that. And I kind of looked at both of those paths, and I didn't like staying out till three or four in the morning. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of drugs in Seattle at the time, a lot of heroin here. We were in a recession, um, and that was informing the music scene. And, I, um, and then I looked at kind of the option of going to Berkeley, and I, just, I made a super conscious decision when I was 19 or 20, I'm going to play music for my whole life. I'm mm -hmm. going to gig, but I'm not going to make it my, I'm not going to put all my eggs in that basket in terms of, and I've always been a polymath or uh -huh. a, I like to do a lot of things and learn about a yeah. lot of things. And I knew that if I went all in on that, I didn't think I could be happy. But I wanted, and I also wanted it not necessarily to be the way I had to make a living because I wanted to play the music I wanted to play no matter what. So I made that decision, yeah. and through my 20s, I played a ton of music, recorded, wrote music all the time on my four-track, played music with my bandmate and the president's Chris, because we started playing music together 10 or 12 years before the band mm. broke through. Um, started, I was giving guitar lessons out of my house, and, and also I had a career as a teacher, mm. uh, teaching English in high school, but I also played music with the kids always. Oh, wow, um, and then so I, cool. in my late 20s, I kind of went into this career. I went back to graduate school at the University of Washington here in... Uh, land use planning and but I kept playing music and um, and my bandmate Chris moved back to Seattle we, we grew up here together but he'd been living in New York and Boston he moved back to Seattle 1993 like 10 years after I made that decision mm -hmm. and as we always did whenever we were in the same city we're like let's start a band because sure, we'd started sure, three or four sure. over the last 10 years like let's get some gigs yeah and he came back I had a rehearsal space he had a new batch of songs that I liked he just started working in these funny open tunings because he'd been playing with the late great Mark Sandman yeah fantastic musician yeah, yeah incredible musician and um, and so I started to get into playing in two or three string or four string open tunings and we just started playing gigs as a duo no drummer and like instantly people freaked out and right. responded and and because it was good and yeah, we've yeah. been doing it for 15 years it was and it good. finally all added and up the time was right time was yeah. right and that's just luck and um and then it just kind of exploded and and so over the course of like a year and a half or two years we had this crazy experience where we were getting courted jason our drummer was already in a band love battery who mm. had put out three records on sub pop and just been signed to a and m and, uh, he's a good drummer. He's a great yeah, drummer. I was very, listening to your records yeah. last night. That guy can play. Extremely nice, musical. And he's, he's nice. left-handed. He plays open-handed right. on a right-handed kit. Yeah. And that leads to... He's, he's, he's a super brilliant guy. Yeah, too. No, he's, a, he sounds good. He's, he's a guy good. who basically um, took drugs and, and screwed around all through high school and then got like, you know, 1,600 on his SATs. He's, gotcha. he's one of those oh. jerks. You know? <laughs> he's, like, he's just freaking brilliant. So he is a great drummer. Um, so then Jason had seen an earlier band we were in and, and begged to join our band for a couple of years, whatever next band we had. He joined and as kind of a joke, side project for fun, because right. he had a real band. They yeah, were making yeah, a real sure, record sure, for right. a real major exactly. label. And then all of a sudden it was just crazy. So I'm going to grad school. 
And all of a sudden, like we're playing at the Crocodile Cafe or wherever downtown, and there are 600 people inside wow. and a thousand people outside. Oh my god! Total word yeah, the of pump mouth. Pump was primed. The pump was primed. The the hipster press, the local music weekly at the time, and the stranger, it mattered when that stuff. Well, was... they didn't like us. Oh, nobody. We nobody liked wow. us except real people. Wow. And the, our shows were a little. They were unique um, at that time because this was kind of the height of the hipster grunge scene. But our shows were like yeah, there were people in their forties or fifties mm-hmm. there. There mm-hmm. were frat boys and yeah. sorority girls. There were hipsters. There were sure. you know. And all of a sudden you look down at one gig and there's Kim Thayil standing right in front of you from right. Soundgarden. I'm like, what, are you, what are you doing here? Yeah. yeah. You know, at these shows, he's like, yeah, I like that. I like the way you bend those strings. Yeah, but the but the. <laughs> so it just kind of exploded, and I was forced with the choice. Do you want to, you just finished grad school, got this kind of career going, or do you want to roll the dice? I was like, well, that just, you know, I had chosen not to do this, and I rolled the dice. Yeah. And, um, and then did mostly music for like 10 years. And now I've kept going and done music on the business side the last mm-hmm. eight or 10 years. Yeah. Um, and still, you know, so I, I, but as far as, but the hard choice, I mean, one of the reasons the president's I don't know. At my age, I wouldn't consider it a hard choice. Well, you made <laughs> it, kids. I mean, no. I'm talking about like if I had the choice at right. this point after playing for so many years, to like, hey, would you like a job in music that pays you the same amount of money or more than you're making now and doesn't require you to be away from your family six months a year, driving thousands That's and thousands of miles and being on airplanes? I'd be like, well, I would still like to tour a month or two a year, but I, I think I'd have to take the job. Yeah, at this point in my so life. So when yeah. the president started up again in the early, we had broken up in 98, um, that was my idea, was we were going to play a month a year. And that's kind of what they're doing again now, but there was a period, one of the reasons I stopped touring was they wanted to play like 100 shows a year. And yeah. I was just like, I'm just not going to do that. Yeah. The other reason is, you know, kind of the music that we played is different. Doing what you do, if I could find a way to tour three months of the year and make it work, I would choose that. Because what you do creatively and what your audience is interested in is is um, a kind of exploration and mm-hmm. ongoing development that is organic and and in, in jazz idiomatically speaking you know improvisation and development mm-hmm. are not only tolerated they're expected right playing pop music um, yeah the, the president's actually just about a half mile from here just finished a new record uh, without me uh-huh. um, and uh, you know that's great. It's fun for them. The super fans will like it. But when we were going and playing shows, when I was still doing it, and now when they go play shows, people are the band's getting paid for the brand name of the mm-hmm. band, and because they're great entertainers, there's right. truly anybody could see them for the first time and yeah. enjoy it on a, in a, a light-hearted, exciting yeah, yeah, rock and roll yeah, way. Totally. And there are going to be five songs that 75% of the audience exactly. know and yeah, like. Yeah. So. Like it's Lump and Peaches. And, and Kitty and yeah. our cover of Video Killed the Radio right, Star. Right. And we did Cleveland Rocks for the Drew Carey Show theme song. Gotcha, and, right. Um, so it's a different... I felt like as a, as a... For me, to do that and do it 12 months a year, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's not enough. Yeah. There's not enough expression of my yeah. full potential. Well, and it happens. And I've, I've been in on a lot of projects that are like and I love it I love the process when you're in the studio and you're Mm -hmm. making the record and you're coming up with the stuff 
And when it comes time to be on the road and you're playing exactly the same arrangement, exactly the same everything every night, again and again and again, I'm just ready to kill myself. And, and, there's no, and that's no, no slight on people who do that for a living. I have a lot of deep appreciation for that, but I have to be able to change it every night. That's just in my DNA somehow, and that's what I do. And because I have to have that, it's basically basically taken a, a zero off of my yearly salary. I, I totally, I mean, I know, I um, totally understand. And actually, it became was a point of contention because the presidents were known in the early days. We would certainly before we had a record out and we were playing locally to big audiences. We would do stuff like we're just taking requests for covers, and we play for ninety minutes oh, and play as awesome. much of a cover yeah, as we could play. Yeah. Um, Oh, and our shows have, were always kind of uh, shambolic and, mm -hmm. and um, on the tight wire, tight rope of, of disaster and genius. You but know, that's what's fun. That's what's that's fun, what's and it, it really we actually had a pretty uh, a pretty um, frank conversation right about the time when I quit touring. Was just like we want to, you know, Chris and Jason, my bandmates, are like, look, we want to do this full time. We want it to be our job again. We want to be able to deliver the goods, mm -hmm. even if we're tired or don't feel yeah, like yeah, it or sure, whatever. So sure. the kind of book shows we get booked in now, like festivals and corporate gigs, yeah, and yeah. Um, the you know the the kitty side stage at the at the Houston Rodeo, you know, uh -huh. in the parking lot next to the Astrodome yeah, or whatever, yeah, exactly. music sure. for the kids. Of course, those kind of gigs, it's like you just show up and deliver the goods. Yeah, and, and I was like, honestly, artistically speaking, I'm not interested. Yeah, yeah. I want I want to be walking the tightrope. I mean, right. I never played. I never played one second on stage with the presidents where I was phoning it in, even right. slightly. Yeah, Every yeah, yeah. moment was life or death. Yeah, yeah. And even though the music we played is is lighthearted, yeah, it, you it, keep saying lighthearted, lighthearted, but it's it's it um, has some dark stuff to and, it. But not it's not it. it's not even about that. It's about uh, I mean, and I didn't. I have to to admit, like back in the day when you guys were big, I would see the name all the time. I'd see all the the grunge bands' names that mm -hmm. were very different from what you guys were doing. Mm -hmm. And I was just so interested only in music that had happened in the fifties and sixties. You were I in your, you even, had your Rudy Van Gelder thing. I on was I was <laughs> just the worst jazz fascist and old blues. I didn't want to hear anything, but. In recent years, I've I've gone back because that's I guess how I do it. Like I can't really listen to music unless it's unless nobody it's not right. as interesting popularly right. anymore. I don't know what the deal is, but it's like it's like I wait till and there's no one in the mall and then I go shop right. kind of thing. But um, in listening to your guys' stuff, I mean that's some pretty deep music and very cool music and really great songwriting and conceptually. It, it works for a lot of reasons and it has nothing to do with being lighthearted. It has to do with that. There's a certain universality to the guitar thing that you guys have going mm -hmm. on there because you're ticking off kind of a bass sonic thing, kind of a guitar sonic thing, but there's all these sympathetic notes ringing between the two instruments. Mm -hmm. There's a great range between the two instruments, and you guys in your groove were very happening together mm -hmm. as two guitar players. Yes. I can't stand listening to more than one guitar at a time. I, I can't James stand... James Brown or Fela is great, but I most of the time, or if it's Cornell Dupree playing you. behind someone else, but two guitars at one time is just like, I just cannot stand me. being in a, in a band with another guitar oh. player. It's like ice pick. <laughs> I can't, I can't, I did a thing, we did a thing a few years ago. It was actually me and Andrew, the guy who's taking my place in the Presidents, who's a Honestly, in terms of facility as a guitar player and a singer, it blows me away. I mean, we have bring different things to the table, but he's a great player. It was him and me 
and key, key, uh, we, did, we did this thing for the Pike Place Markets Centennial, and we covered a bunch of iconic Seattle songs. Uh -huh. So I had like a month of rehearsing and then this big gig, you know, with keys and two guitarists and bass and three or four guitarists and some songs because Mike and Stone joined for a couple of songs. And I was just like, I just can't, I don't want to hear it. Yeah, I want to yeah. make all the noise. It's painful. <laughs> but you know, and it's I not, have a vision. I'm you know, and yeah, and it's not an ego thing either. It's no. a, it is a it's like a, this is the offering that I have. Yes, you know? I have I have basically a really great taco that I've made, and if it's going to be surrounded by whipped cream and cherries and Coca Cola and all these other things, it's going to completely just be, it's going to be uh, canceled out. No, know? I totally agree. And, and, when you, and when you're a guitar player, and because of a lot of the stuff that I play, it's all about rhythm, and it's understated yes. in that way. If you're not, if, if you're not like, you know, when you get with a bunch of other guitar players, the sound of it is like a bunch of puppies fighting for, for the one yes. open tip. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's going to be pretty, it could be pretty awful. I agree. You know? I'm, I'm not, Keening. Keening I think is guitar the word in general around. as well as, as, uh, not very important and it's it, it guitar players get all the attention but right. honestly in terms of what people relate to I have my great drummers great singers theory uh, every great rock and roll band is only great because they have a great singer mm -hmm. who has an incredible approach and timbre right. to his or her Freddie voice. Freddie Mercury. Freddie Mercury, uh, Robert Plant. You go if you just take kind of the the the, the holy trinity of, of the you know the Beatles, the Stones and the Who and you look at them each band individually and then you can go down from here and I can make a threshold between great and good based on uh -huh. drummer. Right. What normal people relate to is the, the words, the melody and the, the timbre of the singer's voice and then what hits them in the gut, the right. drummer. Every one of those three bands has an unbelievably distinctive drummer. Uh -huh. uh, Ringo, Charlie Watts, and John Bonham. John Bonham's my favorite musician oh, no, of all he's, time. But, he, and he's, and I, and but I'm not a big Stones fan. I'm not either, but Charlie Watts is undeniable. Yeah, no, that's, he's, that's, yeah, yeah, no, I like, I dig it, I dig it, and I dig Keith Richards, but I can't listen, and I've gotten a lot of flack from friends because I can't listen to the Stones because I grew up with my mom playing tons of old country blues from the 20s and the 30s. Right. And, and so I grew up with the real stuff. And yes, to hear Mick Jagger I know, I can't stand insults, this. It insults me I on agree. a deep level. Because it's such I know. minstrel, phony, I like, I was the oh, same way. it's embarrassing. I went through that period in like, when I was starting to get into music, 8th, ninth, and 10th grade, where I was just all about, you know, I'd been like into Rush and Sticks sure. and all this stuff. And I went through the reactive, now I love it all, but I went sure. through the reactive period where like, if it isn't Muddy Waters, I don't want to hear it. Of course. I shook Muddy Waters' hand, yeah, you know, yeah, at, at yeah, when he man. played in Seattle. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but it's all good. I have the yeah, same yeah, reaction yeah. to the Stones. Yeah, yeah, it's all good. But there's great stuff in there. But the point is, it's all of what people care about. Guitar gets way too much attention, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. And I like what you do because it's stripped down, drums, one stringed instrument is awesome yeah, there's yeah, space yeah. and, and um, you use the space yes and that's I want the thing space. Scott and I talk about if we don't use the space yeah it's a bad gig if we're if the space is now we're getting to the point where like lots of space in there it's our friend it's a third member of the band yeah and it gets to the point where I mean like last night we had Skerek sit in and it was great because he's a great player and yeah. he brings a special thing and he we played a couple cool tunes with him but a lot of times, you know, you'll have jazz festival stuff where, like, they'll see duo and they're like, oh, we don't want a duo. We want a trio. They, they have a very specific More idea. is more. Yeah. And it's like, okay, great. So we uh, play a duo yeah. set and it's everything you need. 
right. then we have a, someone else come in, and it's just the music is smaller all of a sudden. It's more impacted. It's I more, agree. You know, it's, it's more. Uh, it, it it things cancel each other out. Yeah. I've been really into lately. I was just going to look up the record on my phone here. That Jimmy Jimmy Jeffrey three. Record. Oh yeah, that's a great record. Uh, yeah, that record just blows Steve my mind. Steve Swallows on that uh, one, yeah, right? That's, isn't and, it? Uh, Jim Hall and Steve Jim Swallow. Steve Swallow. It's yeah. unreal. I'm fascinated with Steve Swallow. I have a Steve Swallow obsession. Oh, I, I do. Who doesn't, one, man? There's one it. album that I bought. I, I must have been right after it came out, and I don't know how or why I bought it. Uh, it's uh, it's. Um, it's one. Of, it's a duets with Carla Bley, mm. and it's "Are We There Yet?" It's live, mm. and it's just the the record. Just I listen. I probably listened to it like fifteen hundred times. It yeah. just freaks me out. I mean, that guy's like a harmonic shaman. It's kind so of, you know, he's, he's so direct. Yeah, and, he, he's and, fantastic. Uh, he freaks me out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that was Bobby Prev. Bobby Previtt did a lot of gigs with Paul. Yeah, uh, I'm Steve Swallow rather, and he said, "Yeah, it was definitely kind of finishing school. At least that's what I, uh, the impression I got." Well, he's yeah. he's sophisticated without being uh, pretentious. Well, or, because or he comes indirect. from that era. Yeah, he's like you said, authentic. I mean, he's yeah. an authentic jazz musician. Yeah, you know, and uh, I'm not an authentic jazz musician. I'm mm-hmm. authentic at what I do. I know the jazz canon, most of it, but I would not say. I'm not old enough to be an authentic jazz musician. Well, I think you know. Maybe I think good the, the thing that the 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 challenge with jazz for me is I like um, with a lot of modern and postmodern jazz, and I listen to a lot of it. I like um, I like rhythmic drive. I like swing, mm-hmm. and when the music starts to lose the focus on swing, on being fundamentally danceable in yeah. a way. I start to lose interest. That said, there are certain records that, uh, like In a Silent Way, that are my favorite records. But that record, to me, is, yeah, there's all the spacey shit. This is actually my favorite John McLaughlin playing of any playing he's ever done. This is playing on that. Um, There's all the spacey stuff, but when they kick into the boom, boom, doo, doo, boom, yeah, 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 boom, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, there are a couple, there are two or three places on the record where they lock into that for like one to two minutes, and that's what. Gives it that's the context. what makes it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that's so, what they were on. That so I've gotten really into lately. I uh, for years I couldn't stand Wynton Marsalis. Uh, I couldn't stand his preaching. I couldn't get into his music. <laughs> and then I read two of his books about two years ago. God, that guy's smart. Oh yeah. I mean, it's like, and his books are so smart about music and yeah. American culture. It yeah, just yeah, freaked yeah. me out. And then I went back to the YouTube's and started listening to him. And I've been in a period the last couple of years of listening to a lot of. Newer uh, jazz that is referential to 50s or earlier, uh-huh. and then going back to a lot of starting, you know, with uh, Hot Fives and Hot sure, Sevens of kind of stuff. Yeah, you can't lose with that, that stuff that has that that drive. And how can you? I had a big obsession. It's, it's there. undeniable. And, and I actually and tried I to play the trumpet for about six months. It's really <laughs> depressing. Have you ever tried to pick up a it's, wind instrument? Yes, or? I have. It's painful. Have. It is. It's it's very. I think once you're in the guitar world, you're not. It, it's painful, but it's very. You know what you realize in spending a lot of time in jazz, and I had the same conversation with Nels Klein, is that it's it's very much. When you bring the guitar into it, you're definitely a redheaded stepchild. You definitely totally. You definitely stand out at the picnic, well, and I, it's not made for you. None of the food no. is made for you. None of it is made. No. Everything is organized around the fact that you play a wind instrument that is purely linear and, and expressive, and expressive and has in all these, certain ways, yeah. and it's all like that. And, totally. You know, and so as a guitar, you need to get in there and you need to learn all that stuff. 
and then you need to realize that you're not going to be living there. You're you're going to only you're you're half cast. You're a half you're cast. You're half cast in the oldest, you... more English uh, colonial sense of word. You're well, half cast. Yeah, and you need to leave. You and know? to go beyond, I, mean, I think the challenge is even yeah, following it. I mean, I've heard Nails Klein talk a lot about that, and particularly in relation to his sound mm -hmm. and how he approaches using effects or going with a more traditional sound and and you know you can go you can go all the way to exquisite brilliance with a tradition with with staying in the in the side of the lines Jim Hall sure RIP oh, yeah, yeah, being yeah, the premier yeah. example right taking a straight ahead tone a straight ahead horn like approach right and then he did some uh, things that I like that influenced me in his accompaniment but in terms of yeah. the soloing and you're still going to be the redheaded stepchild. You still are. You're yeah, still, yeah, it's, Jim yeah, Hall's yeah. never going to be John Coltrane in the right. pantheon of greats. Right. Even though, in terms of his harmonic conception, yeah. what he did, it's just as brilliant. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, so the question is can you take it, like someone like Nels, where you do things sonically? But, like you said, there's no way to do it within the, the lines. Right. You have to create right. something that's totally yeah. your own, like you've done. Yeah, you have to create a new genre, basically. Well, you kind of do. You ha and, and I think that's the beautiful thing about it, and that that's, you, you know, you live and die by that one way or the other. Mm -hmm. you know? and, but the thing, the funny thing is, is what people think about when they think about Nels is, oh, Sonic this, then you, Nels has advanced that way beyond what any of the, anyone else has done to the mm -hmm. point where I used to use a few little pedals and I heard Nels, I was like, you know what, man, this is stupid. Why am I even, I even bothering with this? I, I don't live here. This is not right. where I live. This is yeah. where you live. But that being said, Nels is also, I mean, I defy you to find someone that is as accomplished harmonically yeah. or melodically as Nels is as well because he's got, he has that whole jazz that. thing. But he's not, there's only room in the world for so many Peter Bernsteins or so many Kurt Rosenwinkels. Right, in fact, yeah. there's only room for them. Right, yeah. And they're brilliant at what they do and, you know, they're occupying that space and deservedly so. So, you know, somebody like Nels is like, well, I pretty much have all that information, but I also, you know, I understand guitar vernacular, punk rock vernacular, yeah. art vernacular, and that's very, just as important to me. Whereas with me, it's like, man, you know, drums are just as important. Soul music and the blues yeah. are just as important. Yet, Rossan Roland Kirk is like, that's my kind of my guiding light. You know what I mean? So I, it's funny you, you should mention him because I have heard him forever and only in the last six months have I been like getting into him in a dedicated way. Which like, record? It. Um, it's, it's the records from the early 70s. I can't even remember. I just actually, the last few months I've just been poking around on Spotify and on YouTube and I can't even remember yeah. um, the titles. What I, I, Probably I, the Inflated Tear, the Case of Three-Sided Dream. This is my partner, Adam Dorn. His dad produced those. Oh, records. he did? Yeah, Joel Dorn produced yes. those. Yes. Oh, I records. didn't know. Okay, I know yeah. I got the connection. I'm going to have um, to look up. We actually interviewed uh, Dorthon Kirk, Roland's yeah, wife. Yeah, I saw that. And, yeah. and, and uh, that was great. That was really great. Well, I'd already been listening, and I think it was actually um, seeing. I saw that in the email you sent me about who you've talked to. When, yeah, she's she's uh, great. Inflated tear. Yeah, I've been listening to that. I just recognized the record covers. I've just been poking. Um, bright moments. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. great. I just and love the, er the early stuff. Is great too, man. There's a record with Jack McDuff that's fantastic. I just like his. Uh, he's uh, he embraces lots of different approaches, and I like he. What I like about him is is obviously literally in some cases he has a great sense of humor. Oh yeah, there's this tremendous sense of yeah. humor in the music, and then I like that as a performer. You know, when I've watched the live stuff on YouTube, which is a lot of what I've been watching. Yeah. Um, he, you know, 
He just he gets it. You're entertaining yeah, yeah. the crowd. Oh, yeah, yeah, he does. You can be musically profound and 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 then tell a fart joke. Exactly. You know, that's okay. Yeah. Those two are not mutually exclusive. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so tell me what we were about to get into earlier is how do you see from your vantage point? And very few people have this vantage point. Very few people have been legitimately successful in music. And I mean that because your artistic thing was, it was not bullshit. That was for real, what mm -hmm. you guys were doing. I think doing. it was. It was yeah, for was. real. And, and um, But you can go from that experience to having this career, a white collar career essentially, on the other side mm -hmm. of the equation. What What are your... What is your unique like vantage point? Any anything, any kind of conclusions you have come to that might help me and other people who are kind of on the other side of that. Not like invading the barricades. I don't think in those terms anymore, you know. But but you know what 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 are your impressions culturally from both sides of that world? Um, my impressions, if I think about it, you know, if I'm learning anything. So I was a. I, let me tell you a little bit about how I went, ended up here, and maybe that will lead to the answer. So in my 20s, and in my teens and my 20s, I was very issues-driven. I wanted to be a teacher, mm -hmm. and I wanted to work on environmental issues. And then all of a sudden, I was in this band, and every major label that existed at the time was trying to sign us. Every one of the top five or ten music business attorneys wanted to represent mm -hmm. us. Every booking agency, you know. And all of a sudden, they smelled all meat. Yeah, they smelled meat. And I'm like, okay, if I'm going to do this, I'm not going to get screwed, or I'm going to minimize the screwing because uh -huh. you can't really do it and not get screwed to some degree. So I was the one among the three of us who just like I bought every book on the music business. I, I thought if I'm going to roll the dice on this, I'm going to be well informed. So then maybe that's you're lesson learn number how one. To play craps. If yeah, you're yeah. Roll the dice. If you're going to roll the yeah, dice, yeah. know the odds and yeah. know the rules and know the ways that the dice might be fixed. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, the dice are going to be fixed. And there's not a damn thing you can do about it, and you're happy to get the 10% or whatever exactly. you get out of it yeah, instead yeah. of the 90% you should be getting. Yeah. But you should know when it's happening. So number one is um, I, I might have been a little bit ahead of the curve in the sense that I really kind of owned uh, in terms of making sure that we were taking care of every aspect of our business as one of the artists in the band, mm. which was pretty uncommon in 1993. Very it's the norm now. Yeah. And there's no way not to survive now and do right. that. So, so, um, so one thing I found, all of a sudden, I had all these deals that were directly related to me, and I'd never been interested in business at all. Mm. I was just interested in these issues. I kind of resigned myself to like, you're going to work for a nonprofit or an academia sure, or sure. teach school or something. And, and all of a sudden, I, I like, um, I was in, in the thick of it. And I uh, had a vested interest and I found like, I like this mm. and in fact once we kind of had a hit record in many ways the business side of it uh, became more creative than oh, the music wow. side <laughs> for a certain period like you said when you're when you're going out it was still always exciting and authentic and vibrant to be on stage playing the music but it's you can't be real creative when you're working 18 hours a day to play gigs and oh, yeah. promote and oh, go to yeah. radio stations Absolutely. and especially back then when it was like the day that was expected of you oh my god was ridiculous you've i've never so i've had hard jobs like my stepdad runs a tug and barge business i used to deckhand for him i dug ditches for summer in high school yeah. you know i've had gnarly other white college jobs teaching schools no picnic 
that job of being a successful pop artist is the gnarliest job yes. I've ever had. I mean, you work like 18 hours a day, yeah. every yeah. day, yeah. no breaks, no predictability. Your schedule can change no. week to week, day yeah. to day, hour to hour, minute to minute. Absolutely. And you just gotta roll with it. Yeah, and you and have to go. be, very few people can really live in that world. I couldn't do it. When I meet people in that world, like meet Mick Jagger or Madonna, those people are, are impressive. Yeah. To be able to do that, and right. fight to stay at that level Woo. and sustain the energy and drive it takes to do that for 10, 20, 30, 40 years oh is insane. God. I they have mad have, respect yeah, for yeah, those, yeah. just as human have, beings. Right, they either have something very right or something very wrong with both, them. Both, Or think. both, probably. That's yeah, the other thing yeah. you learn uh, when you get... Um, one thing uh, I've learned from seeing the entertainment business as an artist and that now as someone who kind of works in a distribution channel now at Amazon, right. you know, where we sell digital music. Um, one thing you learn seeing um, people who are successful commercially and being around them is, is, and being in in Hollywood in particular, there's nobody there who doesn't really, 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 really want to be there. Like who wouldn't sell their mom to be there? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, you you see like, oh, my favorite star from such and such TV show. They seem pretty cool. And <laughs> like, no, they would kill their mother to get on the red carpet. You know, and be seen yeah. on Entertainment Tonight. You know, but going, that to going me to the is such a bizarre thought because my attitude about that is that avoid that at all costs. Yeah, only bad things can happen to you and your art if you involve yourself in that. That's my gut reaction to those kinds of. Things, and I think you know? I think that's a uh, that's kind of where I was going with it. That that game, there's only there are very few winners in that game, mm -hmm. and they usually don't win for very long. There are a few, you know. There's Clint Eastwood. There's sure. Paul McCartney. Yeah. There are people. There's Yo Yo Ma. There are people who, you know, get to there and stay there forever. But, um, you know, I think uh, sitting from where I sit now and seeing what we do at Amazon, what the digital music and media industry is doing in general, seeing how the president's, you know, copyrights get, you know, continue to find a home and, and a, an audience. I think that, you know, the takeaways are there are many, many more opportunities now to do it your own way, not mm -hmm. be the mm -hmm. asshole on the red carpet yeah, yeah, to yeah. be Charlie Hunter and tour and sell stuff. Um, there are many, many more opportunities. There are many, many more models. Um, that's not. Uh, there have been some pipe dreams like, oh, the long tail's going to monetize. People are going to care yeah. about the craziest music. No, people like good music that yeah, yeah. that exactly. lots of people will like. Exactly. Quality still sells. Exactly. The long tail, nobody gives a yeah, yeah. damn about the long tail. That was that's that's so ten years ago. But the 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 upside is there are channels in place to do it yourself to make a real living. And you have to own it and be informed. And, and unfortunately, you have to work probably harder now. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Then that there is a career. There was a career to be had in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s for a mid-level career major label artist, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where you were somehow interesting to the label as a, as a prestige act. Got you. Or. Um, or managed to sell twenty to seventy thousand albums every time consistently and with a with a budget uh, yeah. accordingly yeah and and um, 
that just doesn't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. There are no mid-level career major labor. And if you had that in those days, you'd had some stability. You know, and I, I knew people who were more in the, like Mudhoney. Now Mudhoney never sold a million records, but they had a record with Warner Music, a deal with Warner Music for a while, and they were able to make a few records with a little bit of stability. They knew they had a recording budget and kind of, they knew they'd have the support of promotion and distribution, which is a lot. If you have to set it up yourself, it's a pain in the ass. No um, doubt. So that yeah. doesn't really exist anymore. You got to do it all yourself. That's the challenge. The upside is both as an artist and someone who manages, I manage the president's catalog stuff and keep an eye on all our publishing and stuff. And then as someone who's part of the distribution chain, it's not a pipe dream that there's money to be made there. And um, if you do some pretty simple things in terms of dotting your I's and crossing your T's and making sure you're well distributed and making sure that if you're creating new content that some isn't owned under some prior deal that you did, that you own all of it and that you, you know, it's, it's a, um, it, the fundamental shift is from a high volume, very low margin business to a lower volume, higher margin, High margin. business. And it's, I, a, it's I, a massive shift. I.e. keep it small and keep it all. Yeah, ex yeah. well that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which you is, could have just said that and yeah. I wouldn't have to say all that crap I no, said no, for the but, last 10 but minutes. No, but that's, the thing is most people don't know and a lot of people, they have a very strange idea about what we do. You yeah. know, it's like, well, how do you make a living? Well, working my ass off, you know? Yeah. I mean, this is, this is like, it's a calling and a lot of people think, oh wow, man, I see what that guy's got. He's like, he just is like, well, I'm like, you know, I pay all my bills and I have zero dollars at the end of the year. That's uh, what I got, you, you know. And people don't understand that it's very, it is, it's very Masonic to them. You mm -hmm. know, it's very like Freemasonry what we do. It's like what? How does that work? It's like alchemy. What's, what's it, going on? I, I think of it more now. I also think now more. I mean, I think record deals used to give people continuity. My sister and brother-in-law are both. Uh, very, very successful freelance writers. My sister had a New York Times bestselling nonfiction book oh, a couple of years ago. It's called Poser, My Life in 23 Yoga Poses. Oh, yeah. um, and then my brother-in-law, Bruce Barkhart, her husband, they both write for Vogue, New York Times, National Geographic, Outside. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, being a musician is more like that now. They're as successful as you can be, but they're still like somebody who's playing music it's like what's the next gig exactly you, you know yeah they, forward, they yeah, comfortably support their family of four yeah. and, but it's like you know they're, yeah. they're always hustling oh and the hustle never ends yeah and and the I don't think I think ends. in many ways that when I you know I was kind of in the transition phase but I know some artists who were major label artists in the 70s and 80s and into the 90s and they weren't really hustling in the same way if you had a major label deal and you had a publishing deal you might not have been making a ton of money but there was probably some flow through and support support to make a new record and maybe even some tour support and maybe you renewed your publishing deal every five years and mm -hmm. they cut you a little check and you know it was just a different it was a different model and I and people were not you know tweeting putting yeah. a Facebook post yeah. you didn't have to feel like you constantly had to pimp yourself or invent a new business model right, which right. you do now it's true and you can make money actually Chris my bandmate in the presidents he's a super smart uh, hard-working guy and he he kind of is a he's sort of a a perfect music 2.0 use case I mean really? he, so the presidents now have gone back from playing a hundred plus shows a year to playing like you know 20 or 25 so he does that and that's he's lucky to have that um, but then he has this kids music thing Casper baby pants 
which is him playing uh, sort of reinventing folk and popular songs mm -hmm. in a way that's suited for toddlers and their parents. And he does great with that. He plays like 150 shows a year <laughs> around, but, but never more than an hour from his house. Yeah. Oh, wow. He plays at libraries and community festivals. Oh, wow. Part of it is, though, you have to be willing. He has no, yeah, he was a big rock star, but he has no ego about it. Mm. He's like, he's mm. happy to go play at the, at the public library yeah, downtown so for I. 30 moms and so, their yeah. kids. Yeah. And so he's doing that. And then he has been for 14, 15 years now building up a business of music for film, TV, advertising, mm -hmm. which is always hit or miss. Um, and it takes a lot take, of time. It takes a lot of time, but he's found an approach with it where for years he tried to really pitch stuff, and now he just kind of does what he does, makes it available, and when it gets licensed, great. Sometimes you get lucky and someone writes you a big check. Sometimes you work really hard to get something and you get nothing. But over time, the performance royalties, particularly from uh, the publishing side, mm -hmm. you know, even from stuff he's placed for free, um, adds up. And so between those three things, he makes a living. But yeah, sure, he takes time off when he wants to. And he, he sent me a great email the other day where he's just like basically decided to sit under a tree for a couple of weeks. Uh -huh. yeah, but he's a super hard worker yeah. and super organized yeah. and focused. Yeah. And he doesn't screw around. You know, yeah, he makes a new kids music record every year, every nine months. And then he gets it pressed, he has it in his garage, he's the one who packages them and ships them and corresponds with all his mm -hmm. audience and mm -hmm. yeah, he makes a nice, you know, make a few thousand and sell them for $10 each and, you know. Same thing. I mean, that's the yeah. my hustle exactly. And I yes. think everyone has a variation of that hustle. And, so, and, you know, I have to say a couple years ago, I mean, for years I had a manager and I realized, well, why do I have a manager? Presidents I, don't have a manager why anymore. Why do I need, don't need a manager? I can do this all myself. Yeah. And I, I'm happier doing it all myself because yeah. it's easier to, to deal with. I think Scott Amendola was telling me, John Zorn said on the topic of managers, he said, well, you can either talk to one asshole 10 times a day or 10 assholes one time a day. <laughs> I was like, well, you know, you're, you're right, man. But in my case, they're not assholes. I mean, the majority of the people, I would say like 99% of the people that I work with, I've been working with for years, yeah. all the clubs, and they're all great. I mean, what I do is on such a small grassroots level and very rarely do the promoter lose money. It's there, you know. It's very low, low risk mm -hmm. for them, and I have a great working relationship with almost probably everyone that, that um, you know, because I mean, you know, I was told by a, a much older musician at a young age, you go, be nice on the way up, because so you see everyone thing. on the way down. Totally. And he said, I've seen him three times, <laughs> <laughs> up and down, and up, down, and, down. up and down. That's totally true, yeah. and I think that's one reason that the presidents are able to go work now is because we were always on time, usually early. Mm -hmm and ready to work and usually willing to do stuff that no other rock band. Oh, you want yeah. us to play on the street in Santa Monica yeah, or yeah. play at Pink's Hot Dog Stand on exactly. La Brea? Sure, yeah, we'll do that. Yeah. It'd be fun. I think I saw you guys playing at like a halftime show, some football game. I think that was without game. me. I think the, the band played at a Seahawks halftime sometime recently. No, well, back in the day. Oh, yeah, we would have done that, too. Back in the we day. Did, we did yeah, all yeah, sorts yeah. of... Back we did, like, on our promo tour, when our first record came out, uh, we would do... Yeah, we played on the street, on flatbed trucks, mm. on yeah, boardrooms, yeah, that's and awesome. record store one-stops, you know, the warehouses. We just, like, had a couple yeah. little amps, and we had a, Jason had a drum kit that had the... the uh, Suitcase turned into a, a, a kick, bass drum. A kick oh, yeah, drum. that's yeah, great. It's brilliant. Great. Um, so 
on the one hand, things have changed. So, you know, to answer your question 20 minutes later, on the one hand, yeah, the landscape has changed. You probably have to work harder. Mm-hmm. You probably have to do more things well, other than just write and play and perform mm-hmm. and record mm-hmm. music. Um, on the other hand, uh, things really haven't changed because you have to be smart and work hard. It's just yeah. there, there may yeah. be a certain class of people who were able to achieve middle to upper level success before who I just don't think ever would make it now. Yeah. Right? No. Because they just aren't going to own, they just want to, hey man, just let me play music. And, yeah. You know, up to the late 90s, people like that sometimes got a shot because mm-hmm. the system was set course, up yeah. to do that. And that there's no way that's yeah. going to happen. Now. I mean, and you're absolutely right. And different, it's it's what what I think you, is called the King Rat scenario. You know that book yeah. King Rat yeah, yeah. where the guy who's just like kind of like a Brooklyn nobody, yeah. quote, quote, you know, and he's he ends up in this prisoner of war camp and all of a sudden he realizes he has an insane aptitude for getting tons of stuff and selling it to right. the other prisoners and yeah. then he becomes the king of that situation. And it's some people are their skill sets or their their personalities are are perfectly suited to yeah. certain uh, business climate, certain situations and it's evolution, you know, they're gonna take advantage of that, you know, and they're gonna completely kick butt with that and, and yeah. it's fine. And for me, I've I've seemed like I've always managed to kind of just surf through, mm-hmm. keeping as steady an altitude as I can in all these different situations, you know, because my goal is just to be a better guitar player and play better. I know? think your model, I mean, when I think about if I were actually gonna, you know, I think being gone six to nine months a year is tough if you have oh, a family. Yeah, it is um, tough. But other than that, I mean, the the model you're doing, you know who I, I used to fantasize about being is Jonathan Richmond, partly because I oh, love yeah. him. <laughs> I like what he does musically, but partly because I know that, uh, I mean, uh, you know, you can kind of look and see what he does, but I'd heard that he just, like, when he goes on tour once or twice a year, like, rents a Ford Taurus and mm-hmm. throws his guitar in the back, and sometimes he, he tours with that drummer, what's his name, Tommy Larkins, great drummer, mm. but he's usually a two-piece max. Mm. A lot of times, just him and an acoustic guitar, and you go and you play. And yeah, that's great. Yeah, and yeah. and he also mixes things up. You know, every time, no, yeah. no performance is ever the same. And what you're doing is the is the you know similar. I just think the challenge is that uh, the age-old traveling salesman problem. Yeah, you want to have a family and yeah. Uh, it's not, I mean, you know, but my wife and I, we've been married almost 20 years now, and she's very adept at, mm-hmm. uh, you know, our the arrangement, it, it works, and it's just, it is part of our life, that right. ebb and flow of being gone, and, you know, the thing is, if you're going to have a career in music, the, the somewhere, there's going to be a decision you're going to have to make, oh, yeah. uh, and you're going to have to give up some stuff, and I mean, you know, I wouldn't trade it for the world, the people that I get to call you know, co-workers and, yeah. and uh, comrades or, you That's know, it, my that. campesinos. I mean, it's, it, yeah. and, and it's a community to the fact where we just met on the phone last yeah. month and you and I are part of a continuum, this community of mm-hmm. music people, regardless of whether you come from the AACM and you're playing the most avant-garde jazz to whether right. you're in um, Miley Cyrus's band. We yeah. really are all in the same community. And trying fundamentally to do the same thing, which is to communicate uh, some kind of uh, passion or joie de vivre through sound. Absolutely, absolutely. You know? yeah. And that, that's for me, the, I'm, that's the part I miss is that uh, having a lot of, most of what you do, at least in, in the, ha- having a core part of what you're doing and sharing with other people being uh, 100% 
passion driven mm -hmm. because in the business world that's just not yeah. The funny thing is in the business world is that you know if you're creating products or customer experiences, ultimately, really, it is passion-driven. Mm -hmm. But there are all these other kind of thresholds you have to pass through or, or hurdles you have to cross over that are entirely quantitative. Yeah. And, um, and I miss those relationships that are built 100% on the shared yeah. passion. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I agree, yeah. and it's great. I mean... You know, Scott and I have been playing together almost 20 years, and we every night we're just like, we're juiced. I yeah, mean, I'm I always feel that way with Chris and Jason. Yeah, I like yeah. it's always been kind of magic. You yeah. get on stage, and that's what I'm there for is that the juju that happens when the, it doesn't matter. When we were touring all the time, and it was crazy, and we were working 18 hours a day, like it didn't matter. If somebody yeah. had the flu or you were all jet lagged or whatever, we'd get on stage and everyone plug in and Boom. it was yes, and and yeah. just like the magic would happen. Absolutely, and, uh, yeah. yeah. You know, great. as we always said, the weirder the gig, uh, like you know, go to go to the place where the music is and everything will be fine. Everything is fine. Yeah, yeah. that's 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 yeah. the force field. Don't worry that there are eighty thousand people out there and you didn't have a sound check. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, what can you do if you're yeah. ready to go? Go to the place to... where the music is. Totally. Yeah. yeah. No, that's the truth, man. Wow. Well, I think that's a good place to end. The, okay. The, the, you Go to the, the place man. where the music is. <laughs> and don't stay too long. No. <laughs>